So you are what you are in this world. That's either one or two things. Either you're somebody, or you're nobody. A lot of this is behind the scenes or under the hood. It's time to just look under the hood. No stone should be unturned. I don't even know what that means. Look under I got an engine underneath my hood. Most important thing in business is honesty. Integrity, hard work. Family. Never forgetting where we came from. Hey, pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Welcome to the Under the Hood broadcast with Jonathan Hood. Welcome to the Under the Hood podcast. I'm Jonathan Hood. Thanks so much for being with me. Today's guest is A.C. Julius Connor, better known as D'Lo Brown, a former WWE wrestler, also wrestled at Smoky Mountain Wrestling and Total Nonstop Action. You know, he's a, he is a Chicago Bears fan. He grew up in Burlington, New Jersey, but he loves the Bears, and Chicago really is his unofficial home. And we've known each other for a long time, and he's got some great stories about his time working for Vince McMahon the WWE his love of the Chicago Bears, and a really heartfelt uh, thought to young people, advice that he gives to young people. So sit back and relax and hear the great conversation with D'Lo Brown, part of the Nation of Domination, part of Aces and Eights, right here on the Under the Hood podcast. I want to find out why I, I'm not going on Amazon and don't see a D'Lo Brown book deal for you. How, I was, I, you've had such a, a tremendous career so many stories. Is a book coming out for you sometime in the future? Uh, Hoodie, there's nothing planned at the moment. And realistically, I, I know I love, you know, I, I've done a lot of things, but I don't think my life is that really interesting other than I wore spandex and, and baby oil for a long time. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if, 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 you know, my life would, would sell. And, you know, I, I just, I'm a boring guy. Let, let's just put it out there. I'm boring. No, that's not true. That's not. I won't accept that. And I, and here's here's why is because I, I've I've I know that you are a deep thinker. You have a lot to to offer. I mean, you're in the ring, right? And you and Jim Ross is supposed to be in a position to put you over. You know, the whole nation domination. Well, D'Lo Brown, you know, is a CPA. He's a CPA. He's a smart guy. <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, that, that takes away from <laughs> I appreciate Just the background. The but... <laughs> I, I, I know it was kind of trying to prop me up, but let's just, we've got these, these four or five street thugs, and there I am kicking somebody and spitting in the corner and go, there's the main black bear, CPA, D'Lo Brown. I love JR, but that shit killed me. <laughs> I I remember that like there was yesterday, like, yeah, you know, you know, nation's getting over, man. You know, he was a, he was a CPA. Uh, by God, he's, he's a very smart guy. It was like, well, okay, thanks, man, but no thanks. <laughs> I'm trying just to suspend just disbelief. Tell everybody I listen to Barry Manilow in my free time. In my spring, in my free time, you know. <laughs> do you remember? Uh, do you remember the first time that you watched wrestling? What do you What do you remember? Uh, I remember it vividly. I believe I was around ten or eleven years old, and um, I was flipping around the channels. And on one channel, it was like Doink the Clown, and I'm like, "Wow, there's a clown in the ring!" And then I remember switching the channel. And there was the NWA, and Dusty Rose was bleeding like like he got, you know, sliced open by a bottle opener. 
And mm-hmm. I, I remember turning to my grandma going, Grandma, I found real wrestling. And she <laughs> laughed at me. But I, I remember it like it's nobody's business. It was Dusty Rhodes in the middle of the ring, just crawling and covered in blood. And I've been a fan ever since. You know what's interesting is, you know, growing up in Chicago, so this is um, this is an AWA territory. This is Vern Gagne's uh, territory. Uh-huh. So you grew up and watch, and you're just admiring Nick Bockwinkle and Bobby Heenan, and you're watching um, Colonel De Beers and all these guys in AWA. Of course, I saw Hogan and Santana and all these wrestlers before they went to Vince. And you know, when you're watching that type of wrestling, where it's actual mat wrestling, and there's actually heat on the heels, and and there's actually you know mm-hmm. the baby face again pops. I mean, you're watching that, and then you turn over to what Vince had in that early, in those early eighties up to where we are now. It's just, it's a different product. It is, it's all an acquired taste, but I preferred what I watched in the Midwest. And that was, you know, Matt best, you know, a lot of storylines and Matt based wrestling. That's kind of what I was used to. Uh, that's what I, I was used to. That's what I grew up watching. That's what I always aspired to be. I mean, I, I understand that sports entertainment and, you know, I was in, an entertainment-based company, but I always wanted people to remember me for my in-ring ability, and that's what I really focused on because it is, it's when I decided to get in this business, I wanted to be remembered like I remembered guys like Arn Anderson and, and Ron Simmons and, and you know, Harley Races and Tully Blanchers and Barry Windham's, those, those gritty, hard-working, you know, may not be the prettiest-looking guys, but damn, their wrestling's pretty, pretty badass, and that's that's kind of where I always wanted to be. Um, I was trying to figure out if there is a a parallel uh, of Vince McMahon of like some some famous coach. I can't come up with a, with one like Vince McMahon. He's not like Bill Belichick, probably smart as he is, or like Jerry Glanville. Is there a parallel for a famous coach in sports to Vince McMahon? Well, that's that's a good one. Wow, I mean, I'm trying to think of someone who's who's charismatic, who's intense, who's intelligent, who's witty, who's funny, but yet doesn't take any crap. Um, And that's a hard one. I mean, that's a – you almost – I mean, I hate to be a homer, but it's almost like Ditka. You know, it's it's almost a Ditka-esque kind of thing. And I sound like a homer saying that, but – you know, the the, the attributes that are are Vince McMahon are the same things that that was the coach and – you know, it's just don't give up. I'm never going to ask you to do anything I wouldn't do myself because I'm going to go out there and Dick went on the gridiron and did it, and Vince jumped off the top of a damn cage. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it, there's there's parallels there. Yeah, um, I guess that would be like Dick. I think he's probably just Dick without the gum. That's pretty much it. He's dicking right? without the gum. Yeah, he's dicking without the gum. <laughs> Mike Ditka, man. You know, it's obviously we haven't seen a character quite like him in the city since the Bears run. Um, but even yeah. even New Orleans Ditka was interesting because he, he like quit on the Saints before they before he got fired. Pretty much, he pretty much is just if you go on YouTube, you see some of those press conferences. Just like uh, I'm a hypocrite, you know. I thought we we're gonna be good, you know. Just he just put his head down and. <laughs> You know, he was just and he he was starting all those Billy Joes. It's like a Billy Joe Tolliver, Billy Joe, this guy. It's just he just didn't have the same um, talent clearly that he had with the Bears. Well, I think when he mortgaged the whole draft on Ricky Williams, and that didn't work out, he kind of his passion went out the window. Right. I mean, he, he thought Ricky was gonna be. He thought Ricky was gonna be the next Earl Campbell, and he, he was more like Campbell Soup. 
Um, and, and so when that didn't work, coach just didn't have that fire anymore. And you don't have the 40s defense to back you up on some bad mistakes anymore like that. That's true. That was another question. Um, so, okay. So here's how we're going to just build your book because we're going to talk about well, so Jim Ross had you as a CPA, it was a, as a successful yep. CPA, and then you were, of course, a, a main black bear. He continued to put that in there as well. He just yes. made sure that you were yes. – he's a main black bear. I said, is that racist? What is Jim Ross trying to say about that, man? <laughs> what is he <laughs> – what is Jim saying? He's a main black bear, King. <laughs> so, oh, God. All right. What are your fondest memories about the University of Maine? Uh, it was cold. Yes. <laughs> um, it was cold. And and summer was about three weeks long. Mm-hmm. And then it got cold. Yes. <laughs> That's Maine. That's Orono, Maine in a nutshell. Oh, my goodness. So the practices <laughs> all were, always were cold, right? You, I was in, you didn't practice in the summer? Uh, yeah, it was still cold. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Still cold, there is right? okay. There, there, there are two seasons in Maine. There is winter and tundra. Now uh-huh. you pick which one you want. Okay, well, I'd rather just have winter then. I'll take winter. <laughs> yeah, winters you get winter you can actually get a suntan. Right. <laughs> well, I, I, here's what I'm trying to like. So if I went up there, now you know me, man. Now if yeah. I went up there, would I, I stand you- out? Would I stand out like a sore thumb? Would I? Would I like Maine at all? You would love Maine. It's beautiful. Um, some of the best seafood you ever had in your life. Lobsters are literally fresh, like <laughs> like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. But brah, you'd stick out like a sore thumb on both hands. <laughs> but you're, you're you're a six foot five black man. Come on, dog. Yeah, I know. I understand that. <laughs> Come on. I would be very intimidating, also. Bro, they, they they would call you a Maine black bear. They would actually <laughs> think you were a Maine black bear. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. That's what. Well, that's what Jim was calling you. I was like, man, I don't appreciate that. I was not happy. I stood up in front of the TV. I'm like, I don't know what he means by that, but he needs to explain himself. Um, well, so, well, go ahead. No, I'm saying, well, University of Maine loved it because it was free advertising for him every day. Oh, well, I understand. So they, they loved they they loved it. Well, let me ask you this: when you when you first saw yourself on a video game, Delo, or having your own action figure, and I've seen this on Twitter now that you have an action figure, what was that like for you? Yeah. I'll never experience that. What's that like to see yourself in that animated form or have an action figure? It, it's it's surreal when you actually think about it because it's like it's like damn, like that's me, and that's me forever. And then there are going to be kids out there who's going to be playing with this figure or. Or, or playing with your character in the game, and it's like, man, that is so cool. And it, it takes you back to when you were a kid, and you had, uh, you know, I had my own figures of guys that I admired. And it's like to be immortalized and, you know, to be put in that forever. It, it's it's hard to even put in words, man. It's just you're grateful, you're, you feel blessed, and you're thankful that you were given that opportunity in life to have something like that happen. It's like you've arrived. It's, it's you damn sure arrived. Yeah. Um, it's a far cry from where I thought I'd be in life uh, to sit there and hold my action figure in my hand. Now, yeah. it was a bad action figure. It was a, a ripoff of the Vader action figure with a, <laughs> a boombox, which I never held. But it's okay. It was me. 
It was me. See, this is the problem of having, see. I have a major problem with this, man. <laughs> shit, shit. You think Bobo Brazil went through some stuff. Now look at you. You Here you are in the 90s going through the same stuff. Bro, it, it just keeps going. It keeps repeating itself. Keeps repeating itself. <laughs> um, uh, let me just get to this, and then I want to move on. Cause, all right, so I need you to help me with this. It's not. I'm asking. Okay. It's not. I'm, I'm putting. This, I'm not putting this on you. I'm asking you to help me with this. So, okay. as as talented as as the New Day is, when they are on mm-hmm. SmackDown, I have a hard time watching them because I know all three guys individual are talented. I've saw Austin wrestle in TNA. I saw him when he first came to the WWE. I know what mm-hmm. Big E can bring. I know Kofi Kingston had a hell of a program with, with Randy Orton. They had a great match at Madison Square Garden, I believe it was, um, and they just cut the program, which I just don't understand because Kofi was a whole different dude for whatever reason. He turned it up big time in that match against Randy Orton, and they just killed it. Um, mm-hmm. Is the problem with me in that I can't like I appreciate the talent, but I don't like the gimmick. Is that a, is that a, is that a me problem, or is that is that something that may resonate with some people? Because I'm watching that, I'm just like, man, you're better than just flipping pancakes, man. You're better than all this gyrating. All three of these guys are are dope wrestlers, but that I don't think that I don't think that resonates with the WWE fan base as much. And see, you're not the first person I've heard say that because you know you know the history of all three, and, and just like I do, and just like a lot of fans do, and and sometimes they can't get where the character has evolved to. You know, it was okay to some people when they were doing the unicorn or when they were kind of out there a little bit, but then going to the whole pancake thing is kind of alienated people, and and the character has evolved such that it's overshadowing who they are as talent and workers. Um, and I think they're all three very talented, gifted athletes in the ring. And and I think maybe they – I mean, I get it. And they have to be entertaining, and they got to put it out there. Um, I guess it would be nice if people would like them to, to pull back the reins on the character a little bit and, and show more of that personality inside the ring as opposed to throwing pancakes at people. Yeah, I mean, plenty of personality there, but I just don't – I don't – I don't need them to gyrate and thinking this all it is is about about sex and food and whatever else that they're trying to portray there. Like I'll give you an example. Like I'm watching the Usos. I don't know if they went to management and said we need to we're going to reinvent, change the outfits. That uh, a heel team that's appreciated, that's cheered because they already mm-hmm. were cool, but now they come out as like two cool heels. They don't really need the fans. I like the way that they were allowed to be able to kind of be closer to themselves than what they were before. I think that's a great example. Yeah, the, the Usos are tremendous. What they did when they reinvented themselves, they, they probably went to the office and said, hey, we just want to be us. We just want to be real. And, and I just want to go out there. We just want to go out there and present what is the closest reality to us in the ring for everybody to see. And what it is is, is giving them an edge it's made them, um, you know, hip and and millennials understand them, olders understand them, Generation X understands. You know, mm-hmm. they they can relate. People can relate to them because they see that kid walking down the street every day. So it's like it, it's made the Usos really hip and cool. And I love how they reinvent themselves from the you know the Islander type gimmick to now just Jimmy and Jay, and that's pretty cool. 
wrestling is usually the last to conform to the modern day. They are usually the mm-hmm. last ones. Like, if I saw another Samoan with a fish in his mouth, I was just going to snap. Like, that – I mean, it's – Dude, that's great for offense, Sika, because that was the gimmick in the 70s and 80s. But there's, I'm so glad that I think that wrestling in general has been able to move on to saying, you know, instead of looking at Russians as all the evil people and, and looking yeah. at Samoans the way to do it, or and even African-American characters for the most part. I mean, I, I'm glad that they've been able to move on. I think that they understand, like, okay, this doesn't age well, and I think that we can move on from all that nonsense, no stereotypes. Yeah, I'm glad wrestling has is, is evolving to the point where it doesn't have to rely on the on the stereotypes of society to try to connect with people and just let people connect with characters that they can relate to. And to me, that's such a much more productive business. Have you pinpointed at this point your uh, your favorite match in your career? Um, I can tell you, it was uh, me and Val Venus uh, SummerSlam '98 Madison Square Garden. Uh, or 97, 97? Mm-hmm. SummerSlam 98 or 97, Massacre Garden. It was the one where uh, Steve Austin and Undertaker were on top. So, uh, yeah, um, to me, now my favorite opponent is X-Pac. Never take that away. My favorite mm-hmm. single match was that match in the Garden because here are two relatively young kids that they gave 20 minutes to start this. They start, they start this highly anticipated pay-per-view. They gave us 20 minutes and go out there and steal the show. And I remember it because, for me, I got a D-Lo chant and a D-Lo sucks chant in the same match from the New York City crowd. And to me, that was pretty damn awesome. Yes. Well, you get both, right? I got both from the New York cynical crowd, and that was awesome. And that's something I'll, I'll take with me for the rest of my days. <laughs> well, I think that's great. I, um, I think that the reason why that, that people hit you on social media or ask you – to come to shows, Delos, because they just appreciate you for being unique. They don't bring, you know, um, bad wrestlers or bad performers to shows if they didn't think that you were unique. I think that for for its time, especially when you when you came on the scene, and I want to ask you about Smoky Mountain in a second, but when you came onto the WWE scene, they hadn't seen anyone that could fly like that for for your size to be able to fly like that, and then to reinvent yourself. I'm gonna bring it back again because I t- always tell you that TNA run, boy. Man, you get that second time around, like the ground and pound, t- uh, the ground and pound D-Lo was pretty awesome because you had you had reinvented yourself. I, I think your matches with AJ Styles are some of my favorites from TNA. Uh, they're definitely some of my favorites, and yeah, I, I when I first came out of WWE or WWF, yeah, I wanted to be different, so I was a three hundred pounder who I you know I needed something to separate myself from every other three hundred pounder, and at that time guys weren't weren't going above the ropes and I, I wanted to, you know, that's when the moon talks came from the frog splashes and, and, you know, topes of the floor. And, and I just wanted to be different and, 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 and be recognized for, for being different. Now, as I got a little older, my body said, dog, you don't need to be different anymore. You just need to wrestle. And so then that's when I evolved into the character, that ground and pound kind of thing that I did uh, in my TNA run and subsequently my runs in Japan um, is just me growing older and more wiser as a, a wrestler and trying to just freshen up my game because there's only so long you can play above the ropes for the ropes and the gravity fights back. Yeah. How many – do you remember 
some of your schedules? Like, how many days in a row did you wrestle at a time? Did you have a lot? Um, like a month schedule? How many days would you wrestle at a time? You know, typically, usually? typically it would be you know twelve to fourteen days. I've wrestled as many as uh, thirty-three days in a row, Oof. and. I remember one year being away from home. I think it was 330 days I was away from home. Now, that includes matches and travel. But, yeah, it was um, – we had a hectic schedule. And, and when – particularly with WWF, when business started picking up the Attitude Era, mm. um, we just had to be out there um, because, you know, towns were asking. We needed to be out there. And, and we, didn't have, we didn't have SmackDown and Raw. We had one roster, and that was it. So you would wrestle, I mean, there were times we'd wrestle in L.A. one night and be in New York the next, and it would just, we would just go, go, go. And it was like that for, you know, pretty much my entire run there. And then if you go to my time in Japan, um, I'd be in Japan 20 days and wrestle 18 times in 20 days. And there you don't fly around. There you ride on a bus for 15 hours a day between towns. So that's like a hell of a match itself. D'Lo, you, you, your name's been coming up the last two or three weeks. I don't text you on this because eventually I think you're going to hear this. If it's something salacious, I definitely will hit you on this. But I, I heard right. um, I heard Bruce Pritchard on his podcast recently say in talking about you is that after the accident with Draws that you were never the same wrestler, that you weren't the same mm-hmm. personality. Is that from their standpoint or do you, is that how you felt? Oh, I felt, I felt that way too. I mean um, – before that, uh, I was invincible. Nothing could go wrong. Everything I did was right. Everything I did worked. Um, and I would take risks that I, you know, I, I knew it would work out even if I didn't know how it was going to – if I didn't know how to fix it, I was still going to take that risk because I knew it was going to work. Um, after the accident, I, it, it changed me. There was a point where I was, I was really going to quit the business, mm-hmm. um, and Jim Ross talked me out of it, but I was ready to retire right after that accident. And um, – you know, it, fortunately, it didn't happen. I didn't. I didn't retire, but um, I was never quite the same. You know, young, crazy, will do anything out there kind of guy. I kind of dialed it back a little bit. So you slowed down in your uh, your approach, or a little bit more cautious, right? Yeah, a little more cautious. And before it was throw caution in the wind, and now it was take everything. Don't take anything for granted, and watch everything. So yeah, I was definitely. Pre-draws, after draws, I was not the same worker. Uh, I would mention uh, AJ Styles as like some of your favorite matches. That the my favorite Dilo <clears throat> matches is what AJ Styles. I mean, if you would have told me it, when he was in TNA that first of all he would be WWE champion and would be probably like one of the best guys on the mic in that company, I would have said your ass is crazy <laughs> because what yeah. a, what a metamorphosis of the guy that can always work, but also now. With the the mic, I think that Styles has become the the perfect package for them. Well, I mean, I always knew he had talent. And what people don't know is behind the scenes, he was taking classes to get rid of his southern draw. He was always working on his promos. AJ always ha- aspired to be bigger than what he was, and and every day he took steps to to make himself better. I, I knew he was a very talented worker when I went there. I knew he had a very very good mind for the business. Um, it was just being in the right place at the right time. And then his time in TNA taught him how to become a top guy in New Japan. And being on that stage in New Japan taught him how to be a top guy for Vince. 
And now you look at him, and to me, AJ right now quite possibly could be the best worker on the planet. And that's just my personal opinion, but he might be the best all-around talent on the planet right now. I don't know why Vince is so anti-Southern. That's just a weird thing for me. Did you did did Jim Ross make you take classes to get rid of your Jersey accent? No. I, <laughs> no but here's the thing: it, it's it's that same stereotype as 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 before. But the Southern draws for some reason, people think it comes off as you're not you're less intelligent than someone from the North, mm-hmm. and that's the furthest thing from the truth. But when you hear that Southern draw, people tend tend to go, "He's not smart." And and that's just that's not true at all. Right. But it's just the perception that people have. So, you know, look at look at a lot of Hollywood actors. They get rid of that southern draw because you can't be, you know, an action hero talking like you're from, you know, Murfreesboro. <laughs> a good wrestling town. A good MWA wrestling town, Murfreesboro. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this, man, um, because for, I, I know the answer, I believe, because we've talked about this before, but for those listening that don't know, your, where did your, your love for the Bears start? Uh, I grew up, for those, okay, for those who don't know, I'm, I adopted Chicago as my hometown. My character's yes. from Chicago, but I grew up in New Jersey, okay? Um, really, yeah. Um, so I grew up in New Jersey, so... <laughs> I think I was I was probably nine years old, and the Bears came to town to play the Eagles. So everybody around me, I think it was nine or ten, everybody around me is cheering for the Eagles. Well, I all of a sudden, I'm like, I can't be like everybody else. So I start cheering for this team with this C on their helmet. Kind of cool. My last name's Connor C. Okay, cool. So then the Eagles, the Eagles are, are whipping up on the Bears at halftime. And I'm like, oh, I definitely got to, you know, because my brother and his friends are, yeah, 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 I feel the Eagles, Eagles. Eagles suck, by the way. I know they won the title, but they suck. <laughs> um, so they're, they're you hooping and hollering. So I was like, damn it. Okay. So halftime happens. One of the first second plays of the second half, this running back comes out, and he darts to the left, and he runs 30 yards, stops on a dime, spins, makes eight guys miss. Starts to the right, spins, falls forward for two yards. I fell in love with Walter Payton, so I fell in love with the Bears. Yeah. And that's the day I became a Bears fan for real. I just wasn't rooting for the team because he was because it was against my brother's team. I was rooting for the Bears and I was rooting for Walter Payton. And the Bears came back to win that day. So that set me up for, you know, success. And we sucked back in the seventies, kind of like we did last year. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the and the typical Bears fan will tell you, yeah, you know, we lost a game, but we they knew they were in a fight. Yeah, but it's still a loss, knucklehead. It's still, I mean, you still got your ass whooped. So I mean, it's you might be four twelve. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it's still a loss. Oh, well, we beat the Packers, so that's like a Super Bowl. No, it's not. The Super Bowl is a Super Bowl. No, it, tell these people that. Yeah, yeah Super Bowl, Super Bowl. Packers is just that team up north. I don't care about them. I care about Lombardi. That's the only Packer I care about, the Lombardi Trophy. Right, right. Uh, I think that at some point in your future, you're going to be doing this for a living, what I've been doing as a sports talk show host. That's going to have to happen. I, you, you are interested in that, are you not? Um, definitely. I, I've done a little radio in the past, and, and I want to do it again. Uh, I'm out here in the LA, I mean, uh, the Vegas market, so I know with, with the Raiders coming to town, sports radio is picking up a bit out here because um, – 
to me, it's it's a little behind the times of other other cities that have pro sports in it. And now with the with the Golden Knights being here and them being good, and the Raiders on on the, on the precipice of coming here, um, the sports radio market the landscape is really picking up. So I definitely, I mean, I want to get into sports radio unless I can come back to Chicago and start working for AM one thousand. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Too cold here, man. Stay out there so I, can, so I got some place to chill when I get out there. <laughs> That's for sure. I can see that in your future because, um, uh, I mean, because I know your past. So l- let me ask you a couple of questions that would be – that's up on, you know, the conversation piece as far as sports radio. So over the last, uh, I guess, couple of weeks because of what's been going on with the allegations of so many college teams um, that – um, have been investigated by Yahoo Sports and by ESPN to have paid these college basketball athletes. Should do you think that college athletes should be paid at this point? Uh, in 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 two words, hell yeah. And I know mm-hmm. that's not the the popular answer, but these kids are going out there and, and they're not student athletes. They're athletes that represent a school. And, and let's get that on the forefront. As a guy who was one, and I was on a, on a lower level. They're athletes that represent a school. And you tell me another student who on any given night can generate a million dollars for a school. And yes, they get a free education. So they get back, you know, 20 grand a year. They're earning millions of dollars and times that in the case of football, 15 times in basketball, 30 times. And when a team gets in the NCAA tournament, God knows how much money that school is making. And the only people that are getting rich are the coaches and the athletic directors not the people who are going out there and practicing 19 hours a week and getting on the court and having all the stress of the game. Now, I'm not saying guys in college get paid millions of dollars, put them on a stipend, figure out what a, 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 good, a good wage would be, but compensate them because you get these kids getting in trouble because the coach goes, hey, I'm going to buy you a dinner. And now he's ineligible because he wanted to eat. I mean, that's, to me, that's ridiculous. And, and, you get a kid who wants to take his girlfriend out for you know for on a date, and he's got to go steal a computer and take it down to the pawn shop. Right. By all means, I think these kids um, should be compensated for their time because they're doing an honest day's work at the end of the day. And you know, you you look at any other sport, whether it's hockey, these guys can leave after high school. Whether it's baseball, these guys can leave after high school. You look at tennis; these kids can leave in the eighth grade and go be a pro. But for some reason basketball they got it they you know they've got to wait or they can't get paid and i just think it's wrong yeah i um one of the arguments always against that is well can you pay everybody and i'm thinking well yeah because it's a billion dollars to that's out there for all these schools because of the tv contracts and everything else um and all the money that's being made by these coaches i think that there's plenty of, of money to go around for all of these programs because it comes down to, well, can the women's softball team get paid? Yeah, sure they can. Sure, there's a stipend, but it's so minute, D'Lo. It's so small that it's not even close to the type of money that's being made, the type of funds that are coming in from colleges. So, yeah, you can pay the, the women's softball team and the swim team and the and, and also the big money makers like college football and, and uh, college basketball. Everybody can be able to get something more than just the, you know, the little – you know, the white envelope and the little ch- uh, check that they're getting. Cause it's not much at all. So hoodie, when, when you, when you ask the question, can, can, can you pay everybody? 
Let's just look at one school. Let's look at Arizona State. And the coach is in trouble right now. He's got language in his contract that says he gets $10 million if he's fired for cause. Mm-hmm. Why can't you take that $10 million and spread it out over the student body that are student athletes? All right. He gets $10 million if he gets caught cheating. So he's incentivized to cheat. But you can't pay the athlete. That's amazing, isn't it? Um, think, the, think about that. There's one other story that's out there that came. This came across today, uh, D'Lo, and that is Treg Duerson, who is uh, Dave Duerson's son. He was in Springfield mm-hmm. today to approve legislation aimed at preventing concussions in young football players. He was there um, talking to the legislation at Springfield about this. What he wants to do is he wants to ban um, tackle football. For uh, if you're under 12, so organized tackle mm-hmm. football in the state of Illinois. How do you look at football for the future? Do you think that we're going to have more legislation out there to protect head injuries? Because as someone who played football, um, because he's trying to have the Dave Duerson Act, which is to ban children under the age of 12 from playing organized tackle football. Is that something that you could see for the future? I think that's going to spread around the country because as we grow more intelligent about concussions and and CTE and and everything that can come from brain trauma, um, we can go back to when you're a young developing mind. And at 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, I remember getting my bell rung and we were just told, don't worry about it, it's part of the game. Well, that was a concussion at 9 years old. So I would be on board with saying no tackle football until you're in. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to the summer of your eighth grade year, no tackle football. Um, you can play flag football at that time. If you want to, you know, get the X and O's down and if you want to get your footwork down and, and, and get the game down, but there's no need to be, to be traumatizing a young developing mind. And I think this is also going to spread to other sports. There are some States where in, um, Youth soccer, you're not allowed to do headers. You can't let the ball strike your head because of fear of concussion. So I think as a society, we grow smarter about this issue and and trauma to our head. You're going to see the games get legislated a little differently, and I think it's for the betterment of up-and-coming athletes. All right. A couple of last things, D'Lo. Do you have more Aces and Eights gear or Nation of Domination gear? I I have more Nation of Domination gear just because it was a longer run. But I have a lot of Ace and Eight gear, including, don't tell anybody, between you and me, I, I still have my vest, so don't tell anybody. <laughs> that's, just, that's just me and you. <laughs> See, and this is one of my issues with TNA uh, over the years, especially during that time when you were working there, because um, you remember, because we met in Chicago, and how that yeah. place was sold out. To, it, was a, a t- yeah. it was a live show and a taping. And I'm like, how, I was like if... If TNA needs to have a city that they can be guaranteed a sellout, especially if you're on the card, because everybody in Chicago recognizes you as D-Lo, Chicago's own D'Lo Brown. So when, when you guys got into the ring, the whole crew, and you got up on the second rope, I mean, you got this, like, Road Warrior pop because it's like, it's D'Lo Brown, it's Chicago's own D'Lo Brown. And I'm like, and I'm thinking while I was, as I was sitting there, I'm like, Dixie's got to look at this crowd and say, yeah, we can come here three times a year and being guaranteed and you know TNA has not been back since, <laughs> so it's it's, it's just and pretty pretty. That is a shame. That's a shame. Yeah, Chicago has always been a wrestling town. Whether it was you know, and I'm going to date myself, but Rosemont Horizon, still not mm-hmm. the All State, or you know, <laughs> and, and, and 
whether it's downtown or Chicago Stadium, Chicago is a wrestling town, and and they have supported every company that has come through there to no end. And it is a hot bit of professional wrestling. And God, let me tell you, I will tell you, if once that city embraces you as one of their own, whether you were born there or not, when they embrace you, they never let you go. And I'm eternally grateful for the city of Chicago and, and the way they've always treated me every time I've ever come there. So, man, yeah. I, I just wish we could get companies to go back on a regular basis. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking as I was sitting there, like when you got up on that rope and, and, and they were yelling for you and, and cheering for you, being part of a heel faction, I'm thinking Dixie's got to see this and say, man, we don't have, we can't get in Madison Square Garden, but man, we can come to Chicago and draw. And then, of course, mismanagement all the way through, which we'll talk about another time. Um, so, what advice would you have, lastly, for young people who are listening to this show right now? Because there are some young people, especially when I talk to uh, groups from Inglewood and and some areas in Chicago, where some millennials are just trying to look for for hope. You know, they're just when I talk to them, D'Lo, it's just kind of like, you know, they're either some feel like they've been forgotten about. They don't know what their direction is. What advice would you give to a young person listening as far as direction in their life? Create your own hope. Don't look for it in others. Create your own hope. Create your own opportunity. Educate yourself. Get out there and get the greatest power you can ever have in your life, and that's your education. And don't stop there because no one can ever take that away from you, and no one can ever diminish once you have that degree in your hand they can't diminish the fact you have it take it use it that is your weapon in, in this life and from there nothing nothing is impossible so i'll just say create your own hope and do not look for it in others that's good advice and maybe you could be a cpa or main black bear by god Delo brown Look, if you can deal with the cold in Chicago, you can deal with the cold in, in, in Orono, trust me. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm glad you spent time, man. We don't have this, um, you know, radio kind of reflects, uh, kind of restricts us from being able to have long-form conversations. So I'm glad that you spent some time with us here on the show. And uh, let's talk again soon. I appreciate Hoodie. You know, anytime. Great conversation with D'Lo Brown, um, friend of the program, loves the Chicago Bears, and uh, still loves the wrestling business. We'll have him on again uh, real soon uh, because he's always got great conversations. Don't forget you can hear this podcast on the TuneIn app, on iTunes, on Podbean. Um, you can hear this also uh, on a number of other platforms we're working on as well. We're working on a few other ones, but for sure, uh, you, you make sure that you share this. Uh, leave a five-star and a little review as well. We always enjoy that. So good to hear from Gil Brown, and we'll have another podcast coming up in a couple weeks. So thanks so much for listening. Our show is produced by Felix Reyes Jr., and we'll see you next time on the Under the Hood podcast. Across the